All right, everybody, welcome back to the Agents of Comic Book Podcast. I'm Paul. And I'm Eric. That's right, and we're back. Uh, th- this week we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, we just wrapped up doing a Doom Patrol uh, four-parter. Oh, yeah, uh, that was so- a haul. Yes, it was. We, well, we, we, had, we had to take advantage of our only opportunity to cover something that was coming out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, something that was ongoing. Yeah, it um, felt good. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was <laughs> Reminded fun me of after. times that uh, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if this is like your first episode joining us, we started this podcast like back in October, and our premise, like our idea was we can do ba- like a book club for books that are coming, like uh, books about things that are ongoing on TV or in movies for superhero content or comic book content yeah, in general. Yeah. So, like, if a movie was coming out, we could do like a five part series reading through a bunch of books on that movie yep. or a character in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the pandemic happened, and <laughs> we don't really have any ongoing adaptations to do. So now we're just going back and doing uh, old adaptations, old movies, old TV shows that have already happened. Which I um, mean, hasn't been the worst. No, I mean we got a lot of catch up <laughs> on it. It's allowed us to go back and watch some like all time quotes. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for movies which has been pretty fun. Oh, definitely. Uh, we've covered a lot of bad ones. We did Howard the Duck. We did the original Fantastic Four, like yep. the unreleased one, like yep. the really bad one. Yeah, that was probably the worst. Uh, well, we've done some... Uh, Actually, Green... I don't know. Is it I'd... the worst? I don't know. No, it probably is the worst. Cause, I mean, it's hard not to be. It's really, what it, it really is. is. Yeah. It would be very insulting if that wasn't the worst <laughs> to <laughs> well, whatever we would pick. I did semi-ironically say that Venom was a worse movie in that episode, <laughs> which might have upset some people. <laughs> I was going to say, you probably pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> well, Venom was also not good. But listen, it's, it not, that, it's not that bad. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, so this allows us to go back and do some some old things. So this week we're going to be covering, uh, we're going to be doing a two-part X-Men series coming up. This week we're going to be doing a Dark Phoenix-themed uh, episode, as you might have seen from the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be watching that Dark Phoenix movie, the recent one, because yeah. they adapted it twice. Yeah, and um, didn't get it right either time. No, they not really. <laughs> um, so we're although gonna... I think this time the most recent was a little better. Yes, no, it definitely is. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So this week we're going to be doing that movie. It's the recent one with like Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. The 20, I think it was 2018, 2019, something like that. Yeah, yeah it was pretty recent. So we're going to be covering that, and then of course, what book are we going to read other than the original Dark Phoenix saga, the Chris Claremont story that it's all based on? Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, the story that we're covering today is pretty early on in the run too um for the claremont run so they, he like set his staple up pretty pretty early with this run which is pretty impressive because mm-hmm. the story almost everyone talks about all the time are dark phoenix and days of futures past and those happen like back to back super early in his run okay um that's that's what we're doing next week next week we're going to be reading days of futures past which comes right after this story gotcha. so we're going to be basically just reading the next couple issues after this and it's gonna like be it's days- literally the very next issue it, i think starts? there's like two issues in between and then it's days of futures okay. past but it's super soon gotcha uh and then of course we're going to be watching the days of futures past movie after that that's yeah, gonna I'm be excited next week for that one yep uh it, as far as movie order go it's not going to be uh as conveniently lined up as the other one uh because the days of futures past movie is actually a prequel to the one we just watched oh yeah i know <laughs> and i haven't seen it either yeah so i mean you're in for uh, a, t- a trip through time yeah the only newer x-men i've seen is first class and then now dark phoenix yeah i mean so i i mean they kind of jump in and out i mean they're not really like direct sequels to each other okay. other than like some things that carry over most of them just kind of rebooted a little bit gotcha um because they're all set in like the, all the x-men movies at least this version of them are all set in like different eras you know they yeah it's like different decade almost yep. each time yeah totally um but if this is your first time joining us that's basically what we'll be doing every week we also do have uh, a twitter over at agents of podcast if you want to see what we're covering or just see uh, extended thoughts or sometimes we'll share artwork of the things we're talking about on twitter as well mm-hmm. uh since this is just an audio medium we'll have to use that to uh, to like share the covers that we're talking about our particular pages oh yeah uh, things we use it for that uh as well and we also do follow you back on twitter as well so if you want to en- uh, find people to engage with uh, on comics i mean this is a book club so that's we want to we want it to be a two-way conversation about the things we're talking about too yeah 
exactly. Uh, we do also have a Discord server you can join on as well. To do that, we have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash agentsofcomicbook. You only have to join at the $1 level to, to get into the Discord. Um, but if you join at the 5 or the $10 level, you can even pick what we do for an episode. Yep. So if you have something you want us to cover, I mean, we, like we talked about, we have plenty of time right now. Yeah, exactly. I can't think of the next uh, movie or TV show that's... That we know a release date of that's coming. We might get Black Widow on Disney Plus, but who is knows? that a thing? I it's haven't po- heard. It's a pot because they're releasing Mulan. So if that oh, does that's well, if that does well, then rumor is that they'll probably it's do Disney, Black yeah, Widow. So yeah, that could be maybe New Mutants. But I'm well, New no. Mutants. I heard the rumor I heard about New Mutants was that there's a set date, August 28th, and no matter what, they're releasing it. Is what I heard. Really? Like they they told the theaters they can sell tickets. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, who wants to go risk their life for New Mutants? And if it's at a drive-in, I'd go. <laughs> that would. That would be different yeah so driving would be interesting yeah because um, i mean yeah no i'm not going to a theater for that like you're gonna <laughs> shelve that movie for two years and then release it in the middle of a pandemic Could right bungle that any worse that movie was just cursed from the start <laughs> it's absolutely cursed it's ridiculous um so yeah so and we want to do we want to cover that movie and like a uh, oh, yeah. the demon bear story that it's based on because that's one of my favorite claremont stories but Fuck knows if we'll ever get to it. I know. So. I've really been. I've really been wanting to get into New Mutants too because I haven't really read much of it. Yeah, the Demon Bear especially is like a horror story arc. So you would love it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, um, all I needed to hear was Demon Bear. Yeah, right. I mean, that's <laughs> cool I'm enough. sold. I'm in. I love demons and I love bears. Exactly. <laughs> How could it go wrong? Of course. <laughs> Uh, but without further ado, we're going to get into it. Usually we start with the comic book, so we're going to be going over... Uh, this is going to be issues of Uncanny X-Men. It's going to be starting at number 129 all the way through issue 137. It's a longer arc. It's mm-hmm. uh, about nine issues. Um, but then the one we're covering next week is like two issues. So actually, it evens out perfectly. It's two issues? Yeah, Days of Future's <laughs> Past. It's shorter than people think, yeah. Okay. Um, but it, but it, it, like that shows like how memorable it was in a two-issue yeah. story. Like People remember that, and they adapted it into a fucking movie, a two-issue two story. Yeah, is it like uh, are they thirty-five page issues or are they eighteen pages? I don't know. We'd have to count. Usually, it's it's not the same every time. Okay, like they're like even when we get this overstuffed issue in this arc, we have that yeah. was only like thirty-five pages. Yeah, I know. Yeah, all the rest of them were basically like eighteen, I think. Right, but Claremont is pretty. Like, he fills up the panel. So well, it was still yeah, these older comics were designed, I think, and I think some people who uh, read a lot of older comics appreciate this too, where you got your money's worth with these issues. Oh yeah. They, they're wordier like sometimes newer readers have have trouble getting into these early claremont issues mm-hmm. uh, because they are wordier yeah the claremont run does grow out of that eventually as time goes on but yeah, these early yeah. ones start out that way yeah this is my first claremont thing ever i think yeah and, and, and i enjoyed it a good amount but yeah you can definitely tell like the date like and then the style at least yeah. like, is this the lot. oldest comic you've read so far i mean i've read the original superman like the issue one of, of uh, oh, action sure. comics yeah, or whatever. Nah, so like I've read that. Yes, but this is like the longest like story arc. Oh yeah, was, this is yeah, the longest yeah. like volume or arc that I've read for sure. Yeah, this took pl- This story came out in uh, 1980. Uh, it was when this. Oh, story this was came 1980. Out. Yeah, it was okay. 1980. Um, uh, January of 1980, and then went through. Uh, uh, all the way through the summer. Gotcha. So yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, we we might have some people who are jumping on reading this uh, for the like while we're going through it with the podcast, who are going through and reading it for the first time, and maybe having uh, some of those experiences as well. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's I think it's something everyone uh, newer readers kind of have to get used to, like go back to older comics. Oh and yeah, know that style. I mean, if you can't get over, it, I mean that's fine. Everyone likes comics. That, yeah, exactly. You know, they like you know some people that is a big roadblock for them. It was for me at first. No, it, um, it definitely took a little bit of time to ease into it. Like it's def- you can definitely tell the difference. 
difference. And like, but I, I still appreciate like because obviously I'm a big Morrison fan, so I'm used to things that are pretty dense. So yeah, and Grant Morrison actually was a lot of his. Uh, he says that this was this Claremont Uncanny X Men run was hugely influential in really? him like getting interested in comics. Yeah, that, yeah, that, I could see that, that's especially awesome. with like these Phoenix parts where it gets like all metaphysical. Like, that's, oh yeah, dude, yeah, no, a lot of these like anything that had to do with the aliens or space stuff or anything with the Dark Phoenix in this was just like had a lot of or reminded me a lot of some Morrison stuff. Yeah, and that's one thing I was going to point out is like these older uh, like this story was 1980. Some of these comics were wordier, but I think yeah. with Claremont he gets away with it because he's good at writing prose. Yeah, all, all, um, most of it's great. Yeah, there are some times where like he does narrate over like the art telling yep. like it'll be like Wolverine lit up a cigarette and then the panel is Wolverine lighting up a cigarette. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Come on, just let the artist do his thing. <laughs> exactly. Um. But yeah, so the creative team on this we mentioned, uh, written by Cl Chris Claremont. Um, the art is by John Byrne. We're not going to talk about John Byrne too much because he is a human piece of shit. Um, Who is he again? He uh, He's like a famous uh, artist, writer. He worked for DC and Marvel, but he's just like a transphobe, racist, horrible human. Okay. So, gotcha. Um, <laughs> Unfortunate. He did, he did some art in some comic books. That's what we'll say about him. Okay. Uh, but then the rest of the creative team, we have inks by, um, by Terry Austin here, letters by... Uh, Tom Orchakowski and colors by Bob Sharon. Um, but this arc, um, like I said, this is fairly early in the in the Claremont arc, just to kind of set people up with where we are uh, jumping into this. Um, the, this whole team is basically new. Claremont like wrote his own team in here. It was he created uh, and uh, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus. Uh, he did, I don't think he created Wolverine, but brought him onto the team. Gotcha. Wolverine appeared once in like a Hulk issue. Oh, really? Uh huh. And then Cyclops and Jean were original Stan Lee characters, so they they brought uh, got brought back as well. Okay. Um, but then he added all the, like the Phoenix stuff, like growing and expanding upon her powers. Gotcha. Um, and that's kind of where we pick up with Jean, where this arts arc starts. Is like I would say twenty issues before this or so, they had like a mission into space. They show this in the movie that we'll talk about mm -hmm. later. Uh, the X Men went into space, and uh, while they were there, Jean Grey got like uh basically attacked and then absorbed in this uh, entity of the phoenix and it like changed her costume gave her a much better costume the be I, I love <laughs> right. the the phoenix costume like, yeah the, no the it's sash yep. any sash on a comic book uh like costume is gonna look good i feel like like captain marvel sash uh or not even just sashes uh sashes but like bandanas that wave as well oh yeah like it's, it's hard to go ribbons. wrong yeah totally yeah. I love that where it's just like waving in the wind. Hell yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a good costume design. Uh, unfortunately, the Dark Phoenix does give it some bad implications as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I Just before, uh, while we were reading this, I actually ordered a, uh, a Dark Phoenix, um, or it was just a regular Phoenix, like the green costume yep, uh, yep. statue to put on my uh, bookshelf. Yeah, it was a good addition. And on the back of the box, <laughs> I was reading the back of the box just to see what it wrote about. It's like, yeah, Jean Grey transformed into the Phoenix and uh, went to the Dabari uh, star system and wiped out five million beings period that's how they end it and it's just like and this toy is 10 inches long i'm like whoa that's grim it's like that seems pretty like stark i feel like you're trying to shame me for buying the statue and i'm very sorry but it's her best costume right it just looks so good i can't help myself right i'm so i am very sorry for the dabari gene gray also at this point has been having encounters with uh, a mysterious figure called uh, jason windegard um, we, as readers, know him as a member of the Hellfire Club, but Gene doesn't know who he is because his power is he can, like, basically create illusions in your mind. Yeah. He's not quite a telepath, but he can, like, trick you into thinking things. Okay. Um, so he has been kind of... Uh, yeah, I was going to ask this. Um, are we supposed to know, like, the other 
what he also is known as? Are we supposed to know from the beginning that Jason Winogard is mastermind? Mastermind? Yes. Okay, because I didn't. <laughs> so, right. Like that all was new to me. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, this is kind of the arc where you learn truly like what he is and okay. like who he's a part of. Like you, he had been in the story, but he's been kind of mysterious. You know, he's a bad guy. That's yeah, pretty much obviously. It. Yeah. Um, but he's yeah he's a member of the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club are just like these rich secret elites. Um, who often come into battle with the X-Men. Um, so their idea is use Jason Windegard, this, uh, this basically a telepath, to trick Jean Grey and try to get him to turn Jean Grey to, to their side. That's what he says he can do. Mm-hmm. So this whole time he's been like uh, creating illusions in Jean's mind, making her think that she's like going back in time and like being some ancient ancestor of hers. Yep. Uh, and like seeing illusions that make her think she's like with Jason Windegard and that she always was. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of basically just gaslight her into believing that she's not even Jean Grey. But he does it slowly, like almost like giving her like uh, drug trips where she like, you know, trips out and thinks she's back in like the 18th century and then she comes back and she's like, what just happened to me? Yeah, he like microdoses her. Right. So that that happens occasionally as this arc goes on. Um, And the reason why this arc starts, uh, the reason why we're starting it so soon uh, at issue 129 here is because they start slowly, I think, under the surface, kind of hinting as like the phoenix is kind of rising and doing kind of things that aren't quite natural or things that kind of should be scary. Yeah, because the entire time uh, Cyclops is just having inner dialogue about how all the new things that Jean is doing are just scaring the shit out of him. Right, It's because she was always like a powerful like uh, telepath and telekinetic, but the thing she's doing is like basically just like, re- she's like Dr. Manhattan yeah. at this point. She's like materializing her own like outfits and clothes at, right. at will. and like, at, at a whim and just like, like doing things like effortlessly and yep. that kind of scares him a little bit. Like, yeah. she, like he's she's never had this power and she doesn't seem like she even realizes she has it. It'd be a bit jarring. Right. Uh, this fir- this uh, issue 129 is also the first appearance of Kitty Pride. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Yep, so she uh, they, they introduced her. She, she's from Chicago, um, from a suburb of Chicago called Deerfield. And is this the first intro of Emma Frost too? Has uh, she qu- been around for a not while? Not quite, but this is one of the first. Okay. Um, but yeah, Emma Frost shows up at Kitty Pride's house because um, mm-hmm. Emma Frost basically poses as, I mean, I wouldn't say poses. She is a teacher for a school, yeah. um, but they don't know that she's also part of the Secret Hellfire Club. Yep. Um, so she, she, she comes, uh, she basically just tries to poach uh, mutants off of uh, Xavier. That's what she's trying to do here with Kitty <laughs> yeah. Pride. Just kind of swims in the wake. Right. So she's, she's going to uh, Kitty's parents being like, oh, I have this exclusive school your, your kid can go to. Like, and it's all, it's all uh, included. Like, what a deal you're getting. <laughs> How could did you say no? Right. So Kitty Pride is like, uh, okay, I guess. Uh, she doesn't even know she's a mutant yet until yeah. she's like laying in bed and like falls through the floor. Yeah, at this point, I think she's only been having like migraines that she can't really explain. Right. Because a lot of people's mutant powers come when you're like a teenager. It's like going through puberty. puberty thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're so activated. So for a long time, you don't have your powers until suddenly she's, she's falling through the floor and she's yeah. like, uh, WTF? <laughs> Normal stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the X-Men also show up while uh, Emma's there and she's like, shit, I should have gotten here earlier. Yeah, it's pretty convenient timing. Um, and, uh, Kitty, and th- this, uh, this is kind of a, a good relationship Kitty will have moving forward, uh, immediately strikes up a, fr- a friendship with Storm here. Um, and so she's one of the first people that Kitty connects to. Um, but I mean, they're attacking like two of the most powerful X-Men here with Storm and, and Wolverine. So they actually do take them out pretty handedly, mm-hmm. but unfortunately then comes the telepath Emma Frost walking in and just straight up disables them with their head, Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty easy for her. And they're like, well, put them in the truck. We got the X-Men. That was easy. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Uh, but Kitty pride gets away. She phases through the, uh, the wall and gets away. So now she, uh, like she's just saw, like she 
got this friendship with the X-Men and was like, oh, these are maybe the people I want to go with and not this like scary Emma Frost. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then as soon as she has that opportunity, she gets attacked and now she's on her own. Uh, so so the ones who were captured were Storm, Wolverine, and Colossus. So we still have Cyclops and Jean who are uh, out doing their own thing. Yep. Uh, Professor Xavier has sent them to find a mutant of their own. They, they split up into two teams, essentially. Yeah, they're in New York, right? Uh, I believe so, yes. And then, yeah, the others in Chicago. Uh, yes, in Lower Manhattan, they say here. Yeah. Uh, in, in their prized Rolls Royce, which Claremont loves to call out for some reason. <laughs> he loves that car. Yeah, he must like it. He describes it every time it shows up. Like, of course, the Rolls, the uh, the Royce comes in and they love it. <laughs> it must be a big James Bond fan. Yeah, maybe. That could be it. Is that what he drives in uh, in James Bond? Um, I don't think it's exclusively, but a lot it's of like times, It's like in one yeah. of the more famous ones, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it'd be weird if he did it exclusively. <laughs> in, like the new ones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's whoever pays for it. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but the mutant that Xavier sent them after is uh, is one of my favorites. It's the um, her name is the Dazzler, because uh, her ability is uh, is interesting because it's not necessarily like a uh, combative or like uh, ability. Yeah, it, like because that's what makes Dazzler different than a lot of the other X Men is she gets kind of. She doesn't really like fight a lot of the time. She's not like going like at least in this arc. She she doesn't want to like be part of the battle necessarily. She's like I'm just kind of doing my own thing. I just kind of like being a pop star. Yeah, she just wants to spread love, man. Yeah, exactly. Love, like, not war. Because that's basically <laughs> what her power is. Is she just is like a psychedelic. Uh, like concert god essentially yeah because she can like that happens in like the outside too it's not just is it people seeing it in their heads or she can actually like manifest these things that is a good question because you i guess you could maybe explain it either way because the sensation is very like psychedelic very mental almost like telepathic yeah because you like you do feel emotions like when they're looking at it they're like whoa i feel it's like like euphoria like going over me it's literally like like you know like an acid trip yeah exactly um yeah because when she uses it as like an as a you know an attack or whatever she basically just overloads a dude and it it's kind of described like he's just like having an insane trip so i would have to assume it is mental because if it was just a flash that seems like less uh interesting to me i guess yeah because if you're actually affecting people's brain chemistry i feel like that's got to be something more internal yeah for sure i can see that either way it's awesome yeah no dazzler <laughs> is a, a really interesting character and she'll show up for one cameo in the movie yeah as well. got they a they kind of cool cameo it. yeah they, they gave her like the costume and some of the powers they didn't yeah. go all out with it yeah for sure I, I would love to see like like dazzler show up in like someone who in, in like a movie that's like a little more has a little more visual uh flair oh, yeah yeah like uh, what if dazzler was in like that legion show how trippy would that have been that that would have been, been amazing. Dude, that would have been perfect. Um, yeah, so it would be interesting to see Dazzler again in live action with like maybe a, a visual creator who can do a little bit more. Like, yeah. it's a little more cinematography to it, you know? Yeah, definitely. A little more style to it. Yeah, because of- in the movie, it was just kind of like a dance party where a bunch of sparkles were happening in the air. Yeah. Like, you could tell she was doing it, but it wasn't really anything crazy that yeah. you wouldn't see at a normal concert. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so, I mean, but it, it's a hard thing to portray without actually making the film, like, uh, get into it. But yeah, totally. We'll, we'll, we'll get more into that when we get into the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's interesting. You, you like I said, you do start to get little hints as to what's going on with Jean as these scenes go on too, because she starts like she's losing. Uh, she's like doubting herself in her inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like that's one thing that helps uh, when you're reading these stories and like the, the way Claremont writes it is you get a lot of inner dialogue, like what they're actually thinking yeah. without them saying it to the other characters. Yeah, a lot of hot bubbles. Yep. Uh, so she's kind of going through this club and like, you know, Jean, I, I, I would have to assume kind of grew up more of like a suburban kind of innocent life. So like mm-hmm. she just probably, I, 
at least the way it's portrayed here doesn't seem like she's found herself at too many concerts like this. Well, aren't her isn't her dad's like a doctor, right? They're pretty rich. Yeah, so yeah. she probably grew up like a pretty sheltered life. Yeah, for sure. Um, like at least not she wasn't going to like underground concerts yeah, like in yeah. New York. Exactly. You know? <laughs> she um, wasn't hitting the party scene. So when she's in here, she's like, "Whoa, like this is like uh, you know, kind of like dark, kind of sexy. I kind of like this, you right. know." Like, and she's like, "I've never like you know explored this side of myself before, but this is interesting." Mm-hmm. So the Phoenix is kind of like I, I would imagine in her head using like. You know, natural, naturally appealing things, you know, like, oh, a cool concert, you know, people are dancing, you know, like, this is fun. Yeah. But it's also, like, you know, kind of, it's underground, so it's kind of dangerous. Yep. Um, so the, the Phoenix is kind of playing with that, like, oh, no, that's the fun part. You like that. You like the danger of it. You know, the yeah, nudes. trying to get her to rebel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, Emma Frost has kind of uh, put the X-Men in bird cages. Yeah, <laughs> basically, there's uh there's a lot of like uh like kink imagery in Claremont uh, comics. Really, like there's like I mean look look at Emma Frost's like costume. It's like a dominatrix costume. And oh it comes yeah. up a lot like, oh, when Jean true. becomes the, the the Black Queen. Oh yeah, no yep. for sure. And then they've got the X Men like all like uh like without any clothes. Yeah, on, they're hanging just in, in their bird underwear. Cages. What yeah. the? I did not even think about that. And Emma Frost like get in your birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, but then Kitty Pride, to her credit, uh, you know, she didn't just fuck off. She like she's like, those are my friends now. I like if they got captured. Like I have these abilities now. I got to do something. Yeah. Did we mention that she teleported or yeah? She, the we mentioned ship? she was the one who got away. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. Um, she she phased through the the wall of the restaurant and got out before Emma Frost even knew she was there. Yeah, but did we say she phased into their ship? Oh yeah, we did. Me- I forget to mention that she yeah. was tracked. She got into the ship, uh, phased into it, uh, so that way she could follow the X Men back to Emma Frost's uh, compound here. Yep. Um, so she's kind of phasing through the walls as like the secret, uh, it's like secret agent coming in here. And Emma Frost, I would imagine, it, it doesn't pick her up telepathically because she's not expecting it. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not going to see something you're not looking for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because it, I mean, as far as she knows, uh, Kitty doesn't even know she's a mutant yet mm-hmm. because she like. Uh, Kitty's only had her powers like when she's by herself, and she's only admitted it to Storm. Yep. So nobody knows that she's a mutant. I mean, Emma probably she knows just knows that Xavier had an interest. in Yeah. Her. Emma like Emma doesn't know that she knows that she's a mutant, so doesn't see her as a threat yet. Yep. Uh, and speaking of the Black Queen, we actually do get our first hint of it uh, as she's going through the club. Uh, Windegard keeps you know sneaking up on her and giving her more visions mm-hmm. to try to like further like trick her into thinking she's not Jean Grey. Yep. Um. So she's like, No, you're not Jean Grey. Look at you. You're magnificent. You're the Black Queen, and she looks like Emma. Emma Frost, but all garbed in black and like, you know, her hair's up uh, and like with like a rose, like as a lapel. Yep. Uh, and she's got like a whip. So that's what I mean. Like, th- like she's. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, I see I, it now. <laughs> now I'm a top. <laughs> yeah, I definitely see it now. Uh, but these mutant hunters that showed up to attack uh, Storm and, and, and uh, Colossus and Wolverine, they show up here at uh, the Dazzler pl- uh, Dazzler's concert as well. So they were they were after both teams because Nightcrawler's waiting in the in the Rolls Royce. Because he's like, I can't yeah. leave this wonderful car. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, so he's sitting in there. He's like on the phone. Uh, Kitty actually calls the phone and she's like, I need help. Like the X Men are captured. Like someone help. And Nightcrawler's like, Who is this? <laughs> and so that's actually the first time those two speak. Yeah. Uh, and so Nightcrawler's like, Oh shit's going down. Like half the half the team is out. Like I got to warn Cyclops and uh, and Gene. They're in, they're still in there. Like they could be attacked at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um. But then Nightcrawler gets attacked. Speak himself. of the devil. Exactly. The speak of the blue devil. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, fun fact I read about, uh, just to go off on a side tangent, about Nightcrawler I read on Twitter the other day. Apparently, um, oh, the hell, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the original ideas for Nightcrawler, at least, I don't know how concrete it was, but it was something they floated, was the idea of when they were first thinking of Nightcrawler that maybe he was like an actual demon who decided to stay on Earth. Really? Like, kind of like a Hellboy situation. See, that, yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah, because um, not, um, 
I would ninety nine percent of of the X Men are just straight up mutants, but there are occasionally like members of the team who are kind of like mutants of their own right. Like, okay. Uh, like on the new mu- on the new mutants, there's like a, an alien android called uh, Warlock. Gotcha. Who is basically like in his own society, he's kind of like a mutant because he's like an outcast. Okay. But so he but he's on Earth and part of the team. So sometimes they kind of make those like bend bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I can't see him like refusing entry. He'd be like, no, technically you're not. Technically you're a demon. <laughs> but wait, this is what you guys you guys are fighting against discrimination. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Only mutants. Um, so that was one. Of, I just thought that was interesting that um, they were originally thinking, well, maybe he would actually be a devil. Um, yeah, that would have been a great like, idea. Nah, maybe he just looks like a devil. Maybe we can tell the same story that way. I would have loved that. Because Nightcrawler is uh, kind of in a, a position, unlike some of the other X-Men, where he can't just pass you know, yep. a, as, as a normal human. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he kind of faces a little bit of a harder time because... He, he sometimes has what it's called like an image inducer. That was one of the very early ideas they had where it's like, no, you can look like a human when you want to. That seems um, problematic. Yeah, well, that, that's why I like Nightcrawler because yeah, he tells yeah. uh, Xavier, he's like, well, I, I, don't, I don't like using this thing because uh, I want, I'm just going to be myself. And if they don't like it, then they can fuck themselves. Yeah, exactly. And Xavier's like, well, okay, if you say so, but you're going to tell me I know better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure Xavier was thrilled with it. Yeah, so Nightcrawler's like, fuck you. I'm going to do my own thing. So right. like, Nightcrawler's one of my favorite X-Men. I love him. No, I've always loved, like even before, I knew much about comics or anything like just from the video games primarily. I yeah, I, I think I grew up on X Men Evolution and I love Nightcrawler. X Men Legends that. too. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. yep. Well, yeah, he was in that, right? Oh yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Nightcrawler has his hands full fighting these guys, and they also do get into the concert. And like you said, they actually get help from Dazzler as well because Dazzler's yeah. like, oh shit, like I'm being attacked. Maybe I've never tried using these powers offensively before, but right. maybe it'll work. I can just overload him. Yeah, these dudes coming like, in here committing party fouls. Now you take 10 acids. <laughs> Here's Whoa, 10 bro. hits. <laughs> Too much. We're all one, man. <laughs> We're all on one globe. Um, and this is like what we talked about. Jean uh, changes her, her costume and Cyclops' costume with her mind. Yeah. Like, straight up changes their clothes and puts them into their X-Men uniforms. And Cyclops is like, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> that would be, I that'd feel like the my underwear sensation. change? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, where did it go? Jean, don't worry. I got it. I picked your favorite pair. <laughs> right. And so, like, this, the Cyclops is like, he doesn't say it out loud, but that's where the thought bubbles come in. He's like, this is, uh, this is new. Like, I'm not used to having... I mean, I guess she seems like she's in control, but this is a lot of power that yeah. it seems like she's not acknowledging. Exactly. Yeah. She never had a moment with Cyclops where she was like, well, I can do these things. This is amazing. Like, this is incredible. Like, she's just kind of doing them without thinking. Yeah, they're just coming naturally now. Yeah, exactly. Which that's the scary part for him. Yep. He's like, whoa. Like, is, are we going <laughs> to uh, talk about the elephant in the room here? <laughs> yeah. Like, are we going to mention this? Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's not going to mention it while she's saving his ass Obviously, here. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she goes Phoenix mode on these guys. There's a time and place. Um, there's a great panel that I love here of Cyclops, uh, while he's fighting these guys, uh, cause they have like this goo that they use to like wrap around their heads. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, cause then their plan is to use that on Cyclops block off his optic blast. Yep. And there's a, a panel I love here where Cyclops is like looking up at the goo and like his mouth is like agape, and he's like, oh. <laughs> "I have this as, as an emote on our Discord server." Oh, I, like, I totally know it. One, it's the perfect just like anguish, emo- like uh, like facial expression where he's just looking at the sky, like ah, <laughs> right. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, this came to mind. So one of my like biggest gripes with this, uh, or like with this run by Claremont is that. How many, I want to say at least three or four times, there's moments where Cyclops, it would just be like a small conversation and it'd be like, oh, like, what about your glass? Be like, I have to be careful and keep uh, like 100% concentration when I take off my glasses. And it's like, otherwise my optic blast would blow a hole like a truck. And it's like, okay, you told us that like three times already. Oh yeah, already. no, that's a big thing. Just wait till you hear how many times Wolverine has retractable adamantium oh, claws. Yep, that happens a ton too. <laughs> they, they'll never let you forget that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's like kind of cool every now and then, but it's like, it happens way too yeah, often. 
it, it's it's again it's a thing uh, of the in the older comics. I don't think they always assumed that you were reading exactly because yeah. they they wanted to put up a cover, be like Jean Grey, the Phoenix, the War of the X Men by yep. this issue. Yeah, like, exactly. you can jump on. It's fine. We'll tell you everything you need to know in these pages. And like I've seen this before, but I feel like this happened a lot. I don't know if this was just a times thing where whenever they like reference something specific that at the bottom they'll have like an asterisk telling you where that showed up and like what issue right like is that, is that a thing that was pretty common in these like, oh yeah i mean era? you you get that a lot in uh even not modern comics yeah editor. i've seen it in modern comics too yeah, but, but i feel like i've seen they it do they do call it out more in these because of okay. like what we talked about where they weren't expecting you to read yeah uh, every issue or even if you were i mean you were reading this monthly the trades yep. were not really a thing yeah totally at all. like they didn't collect these comics you and were I've, reading it monthly and i feel like i you you know you'd notice uh the whole you know description like sequences a lot less if you were reading it month to month right that's what i mean so that when you're reading it like how we're reading it yeah. how a lot of people going back will be reading it's a it. lot more glaring it wasn't meant to be binged yeah. right exactly totally um so so it, your experience is going to be different if you are binging it because it wasn't written that way yeah exactly um so they do win the fight with uh, with the help of Cyclops, Gene, Nightcrawler, and Dazzler. First of all, that's an awesome team right there. That is a hell of a team. Yep. So where we left them in uh, in New York here, Kitty Pride actually snuck uh, with those those people who were attacking them to go after uh, after Cyclops and Phoenix and Dazzler. Uh, they do actually capture one of the people who go to attack them, and Gene is able to basically just probe his mind and find out where he came from yep. and they see you know the vision of emma frost the school where she comes from and the fact that they captured the other x-men so they know where they're supposed to go now um and she also does kind of get like a flash of um the hellfire club because i mean like we talked about she's had experiences with the hellfire club yep uh but she as far as she remembers like she hasn't actually met like really met jason windegard she's only experienced him in these like trips so she like has heard of the hellfire club from these visions and she's yeah. like well that sounds familiar why is this like this doesn't seem right yeah like, like, as she far knows as she knows off. this dude was just like an um like a memory or, or something yeah, like, the hellfire club is hundreds old. of years ago yeah yeah so she's like the hellfire club i've heard of this like that was something super old that it was in my visions like is this something that's still around <laughs> and cyclops is like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> uh, oh yeah so their plan here like he he she literally takes the guy who she was probing and puts him in the driver's seat and like like basically ties them all up and fakes their way in. Yeah, takes them as quote unquote prisoners. And so Emma Emma is on their calm like, well, I guess that was easy. Like that worked perfectly. I kind of ex I thought I'd have to come in and do all the work again. Like that's what I had to do with the other three. Yeah, I feel like this is a bit of an oversight. How like it was? She's just like, oh, my like measly soldiers like captured the X Men. Uh, right. That seems normal. Yeah. So I mean, this is one of her first like true like showdowns with them. So she yep. hasn't really had a chance to. Uh, oh, that's true. I guess. This is yeah. That, that first stage where you do underestimate them a little bit. Yeah, I think. true. And they and they also, I don't think they really understand the scope of what the Phoenix is. Yet. Oh, definitely not. Like yeah. they know Jean Grey's like sure she's a powerful X Men, but they don't really know what's happening. Yeah, like uh, without having the knowledge of the Dark Phoenix or whatever, like they could they probably assume that Emma could go toe to toe with her. Yeah, Emma would have gone, I think, if she knew. Because oh yeah, that would have been their only chance, and yeah. even that would have been like we we'll see it. Like she doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Uh, so Kitty Pride, uh, while this is all going on, frees the other three X Men from their bird cages. <laughs> <laughs> finds them some clothes. Yes, and uh, and so Wolverine, uh, he, he's free, and so he he doesn't have any clothes, but he's got his claws. Yeah, just walking around all hairy. Yep, he's all, all <laughs> hairy and all. Yeah, they really emphasize the hair. Oh yeah, he, he's short and he's hairy. That, yeah, exactly. If he's, if he's any two things, that's a trait. Uh, but Dazzler, as she did stick around this far, at least she's like, well, you guys help me out, like with my thing. I'll yeah, I forgot she thing. hung around a little bit longer. Yep, because she's in the back of the truck and jumps out and dazzles him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I mean, if, if I'm listen, if I'm going to be taken out by the X Men, that's probably one of the better ways to get have it done. Oh god. 
Yeah. You're either going to get stabbed by Wolverine, <laughs> you're going to get blasted by Cyclops, or, or you're going to be like frozen by Storm. Yeah, or you can just have like a, a few hour long trip. Yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> right? That one, please. I'm just going to chill out for a little bit. It might get rough for a little bit, but I'll, I'll talk myself yeah. through it. <laughs> Listen, I'll find some good music and I'll chill in the corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is where we get our, our showdown with Emma Frost and Jean as well. Like, um, this, this showdown is uh, iconic, I think. Oh, yeah. Emma turns around. It's insane. Because this is the start of a, a relationship between two characters who are going to have a long and detailed history so seeing this first like kind of showdown between them it, it was really fun on the mm-hmm. reread because emma turns around and she's like oh i've heard of you like another telepath so is this where we do our telepath battle <laughs> right and and gene is just like just like shadow on her face and just like a smile and she's like yeah this is one of those like moments or panels where it really shows how ominous gene can get yep because she's like oh the one and only emma frost the hellfire club's white queen i understand you call yourself something of a telepath Ooh, <laughs> right emma's just shitting her pants shade. yeah <laughs> so and she's like well your majesty let's see how good you really are and you're like oh fuck yeah it, it's about to go down yeah I, I love those two panels right um, because when we see them do battle, it's just Jean floating in the air with the phoenix around her as Emma is just like trying to hold on with like what she can. Yeah, these are this is some brilliant art in these and, sequences. And as far as we tell from the end of this, Emma's dead. Like that's yeah. she's not obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah but she, that's at least where we left her. Like they're like Jean, what happened? She's like, I don't think she survived the telepathic battle. Like, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Like, that looked a little more than telepathic. Because <laughs> yeah, the last you see her is her and like the phoenix's like talons, and then a giant explosion, and then Jean just walks out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love the I love the how they always illustrate the Phoenix's power because it's literally like the the Phoenix is around her doing the fighting. For it, her it reminds almost. me a lot yeah. of Persona, a little bit. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like her Persona, like behind her doing the moves. Yeah, kind of. So Jean, I mean, single handedly rescues the whole team essentially here. Like oh, the yeah. whole building basically comes down without sweating. Yeah, no, literally <laughs> without sweating. Yeah. Um, like through the rubble, she grabs Storm and she's like, "No, we're all fine. Like I saved everybody. We're good." Like, <laughs> Everyone and everyone's fine? everyone's just kind of looking around like. Uh, <laughs> good job everybody Thanks, <laughs> mission accomplished yeah i mean we did it <laughs> and uh and so like again it's the elephant in the room it's like well this something's happening here what's happening does anyone know what's going on <laughs> yeah are we gonna talk about this nothing was ever this easy before yeah exactly but i mean if i'm them i'm not gonna bring up anything to upset gene that's when and <laughs> so a lot of them i mean just kind of see this as a natural ever like well she's getting more powerful what's yeah. wrong with that like yeah we have a, a awesome member of the team now this is perfect we're winning mm-hmm. fights like nobody's getting hurt what could what could be bad about this <laughs> yeah um and then dazzler's like well listen I, i'm happy to help you you guys out like you guys seem like great people uh you, you help me out quid pro quo i'm gonna go do my own thing now so and she pieces out yeah i'm gonna get away from this like massive like power source yeah yeah, and then it immediately immediately goes to the next shady thing that she does, where because they come back to Kitty Pride's house, and obviously her parents are freaking out. Um, because they yeah they go back to Kitty's house, and because uh, Kitty's been missing, obviously. Yeah, her she's par- been gone for like days. So her parents come out, and they're like, "Holy shit, where the fuck were you?" And like <laughs> yeah. the X Men, who the fuck are you guys? Like you're just showing up with my kid all of a sudden. Yeah, like, you said you were taking my daughter to get ice cream. Like you've been gone for like a day and a half. Where the fuck were you? <laughs> and so obviously this is like this is a tense situation. Yeah, the, the parents are out here like they're ready to fight. Yep, and so. All of a sudden, like he's a really, literally about to punch Xavier in his wheelchair. Yep. And all of a sudden, he like shakes his head and he's like, "Oh, hello! It's good to see you. Like, hello, everybody." <laughs> yeah. and it's like, and like, everyone looks around. They're like, uh, "What?" Yeah. Uh, did Gene just do that? Yeah. And so, like, well, at first, I think they're thinking Xavier did it, but then they're looking around and and Scott looks at Gene and Gene's like, "Oh no, don't worry, I did this. Like, I figure it's easier easier this way. Like, this was gonna be a whole big thing. Yeah. Like, we were about all about to tussle. It'd be easier just to not do it. Yeah. Exactly. And Scott's like, eh, "You're kind of crossing a line here. I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be a little unethical. Yeah. 
And, and even Storm like looks like when Jean's not there, she like grabs uh, Scott by the shoulders. Like, did Jean do that? Like, yeah, like that was a thing she just did. Are we going to talk about this? And he's like, I don't know. She's changing. Yeah. And then Scott's got to be the dude to be like, no, everything's fine. Totally. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> uh, he's like, I imagine things we're imagining things like this will be fine. Yeah. So now Storm is like also is beginning to get suspicious. So she's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's like something's off here. Yep. Uh, the next issue kind of takes us through, um, like introduces us to Warren, uh, reintroduces us to Warren, uh, the angel. Yep. Um, he's, he's one of the original five X-Men. Um, he was in the originals, right? Never the the mid two thousands ones wasn't uh, he in one of those? He was in X Men Three: The Last Stand. That was the first movie he was in. Okay, and then he's also in uh, X Men Apocalypse. It was oh, really? Like a redo of the character. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but he he was one of the original X Men. Basically, his deal is he's just like a rich um like heir to a fortune. Okay. Um, but he also kind of has to keep the fact that he's a mutant a secret because his like his parents are like rich bigots and they would never let that yeah, happen. Yeah. Uh, but now that they know who the Hellfire Club is, it's convenient that they have Warren on their team because Warren's like. Listen, I'm rich. Like my dad's a member of the Hellfire yeah, Club. Yeah, technically, I'm in it. Yes, and I'm, they're like, I'm, I've only been in one meeting though. Everything's cool. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and so, I mean, they're all like, well, I mean, I guess we'll take this. I yeah. Mean, well, that's a win, I guess. Yep. Um. So Warren gets them in to this Hellfire Club meeting, and the Hellfire Club, at least how we're told, to ninety percent of the Hellfire Club, it's just like some rich society where you go and you have parties and you spend a lot of money and you do fancy rich people. Yeah, things. it's adjacent to the Freemasons and all that. Yeah, exactly. It's mostly symbolic and superficial yeah and, and so but the the real hellfire club are the people at the top like the secret like there's only like a few members like yep. a secret circle like a secret cabal of members mm-hmm. and they're all mutants yep um and so that's emma frost uh windigard as we talked about uh sebastian shaw who's the leader um he was played by kevin bacon in first class oh yeah uh, I forgot he, about that. he can like, absorb powers and redistribute them so yep. the x-men usually have a hard time taking them out yep um and so they sneak their way in here and of course windigard is here like they're not really sneaking in because windigard knows they're they're here mm-hmm. um and he s- steals gene away and this is going to be like his moment where like she's here i've done all this work laying the groundwork this is where we flip we turn the gene switch off yeah and we exactly. turn the black queen switch on yeah this is what you've been building to right and so he he steals her away and cyclops is like the fuck where did she go with some like weird man just dragged her out of the party yeah and follows him away and then that's when he flips the switch in her head like basically like activates her like secret agent in, in like a, her yeah uh, some mk ultra uh, yeah exactly <laughs> it's like mk ultra yep um and activates her as the secret agent and she changes her costume on a whim to the black queen mm-hmm. and then knocks out cyclops because as the black queen she doesn't even know that these are supposed to be her friends like yep. she is just a blank slate supervillain essentially yeah i think he describes it as like she's basically when she's in that um, you know, headspace. She's uh, that lady gene of the whatever era that he was like exactly. using those projections. So she's never met, you know, Cyclops or the X Men. She has no memory of right. them. And this is also is extremely bad news because this le- the last issue we just read established she was far and away no competition. Period. The most powerful X Men. Yeah. So they're fucked. Yeah. They're absolutely <laughs> fucked. Like there's no plan for this. Yes. No. Um, they they go to attack uh, the Hellfire Club, and we do get a battle. I think the I think Sebastian Shaw just kind of wanted to flex a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, and so he's kind of going through the. X-Men. I mean, he brought his high pants. He didn't bring them for nothing. Oh yeah, and he took the <laughs> shirt off too. He's like, let's fight, bro. Right. <laughs> it's literally like the classic like barrel chest dude with the high high trousers. Oh yeah. Um, and so the, a lot of the X-Men have trouble taking him out. They do have to get clever. I think what ends up happening is, um, uh, Storm like freezes him, like gets him cold enough cause he can't fight off temperature yep. changes. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Wolverine ends up fighting uh, Harry Leland, who is basically just like a... Oh, he can like change the mass of things? Yeah. Uh, so he is kind of like a tubbier guy, but his yeah. power is he can not only control his own mass, but like look at you yep. and increase your own mass. So you you like you won't be able to move. Mm-hmm. And so him and Wolverine end up fighting, and uh, Wolverine like uh, gets thrown into the sewers, essentially. Yeah, because adamantium's already heavy enough. Right, so he, so they think Wolverine's out. He's in the sewers, uh, and we we did mention uh, one important detail to call out as well that we forgot to, to call out was earlier when they're when they were they were sneaking in here. Him and Nightcrawler were scoping out the building, and they oh, went yeah. into the tunnels. And Wolverine just randomly cut some of the wires. Yep. Uh, and Nightcrawler was like, "Why did you do that?" And and. Wolverine comes from like you know he did Black Ops missions like on repeat over yeah. and over. That was what he did. That was his job. Yeah. So he knows these little things that are going to help down the line, like when you're planning a mission. Mm-hmm. So that that like little things like that, are, I think, why are why people like Wolverine because like the things like there's a lot going on in his head. Like ex- people who are like experts at things are fun to read about. I think. Yeah, definitely. Or like they just do things because they know how to do things, and you're like, okay, I trust you. Yep. Because uh, he cuts the wires, and he's like, when the water rises, it'll take out all the power in here. Like if the lights go out in the middle of a mission, that can help us like yeah that's when we make our move yeah things start going south like that could be one thing that could help us out mm-hmm. and that happens like two issues earlier and it just kind of filed away yeah and you're like you almost forget that he did it i mean yeah and then when it comes up you're like oh yeah should have yep. known that was gonna come up <laughs> um, because all of the x-men are out gene wipes the floor with them but wolverine is like the one person they can't account for yep uh and so that's when we get issue um Issue 133, which is another iconic issue. This is the, basically, it's called Wolverine Alone. And this issue is badass. Yeah, I love this one. Yeah, this is one of the first instances, I think, uh, in comics, or at least this is what popularized it. Uh, kind of like, just like, you know, going through kind of like a like a badass kind of diehard situation almost here. Yep. Where it's Wolverine, like... Yeah, this is like Metal Gear Solid. Yep. <laughs> He's an agent alone, but this is do- him doing what he does best. Like yeah, exactly. secret covert missions by himself. Yep. And so he uh, he's full of like one liners as well. So this whole issue is like basically like a single like action movie from the eighties. Totally, yeah. No, there's some classic Wolverine lines in this. Yeah, he's basically going through this building like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he's zinging them. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's like he even has one that's kind of like uh, Clint Eastwood in uh, Dirty Harry because he's like. Oh, you're the last one left. If you approach me, I'm coming after you. Do you think you can make it, bub? And he just scares the guy into dropping his weapon and running away. So yeah, it's like, like, please, no. Like, shit like that, like, it might seem like you've seen it a lot, but, like, this is, like, you know, super influential, like, for, like, making that happen more and more. And so that's why people yeah. keep going back to it. Exactly. We do also get... um some of the telepathic stuff that Claremont writes is very interesting as well. Uh, there's an earlier issue, like there's a whole issue uh, that we didn't talk about before this, where like Xavier does like a one-on-one fight with like the uh, the Shadow King, uh, and it kind of establishes what telepathic battles look like, uh, which is basically is that like the classic Farouk one? Uh, yes. Is that so? That's just before this. Uh, not just before, but relatively close. Okay, yeah. it was before this. Yeah, it's issue one seventeen. So it was okay, like Little, yeah, 10, ten or thirteen issues before this. Relatively. So it kind of established what telepathic battles look like. Mm-hmm. When you go to the astral plane, and it's kind of the battle is whatever you'd imagine the battle to be. Yeah. You know, the more powerful of a telepath you are, the more you can choose the setting. Yep. So like, yeah, they they do that great in Legion. Yeah. If you haven't seen Legion, like do that it. show does this perfectly. <laughs> it's that's that's so the best on screen adaptation of telepathic battles we've ever gotten oh yeah it's um, amazing but yeah so it, like when, for example when you saw like xavier and farouk fighting in issue 117 they were both extremely powerful telepaths so they kept changing the arena on each other mm-hmm. like at one point they were sumo wrestlers fighting at another point they were like ancient warriors uh <laughs> so it was that's thing- amazing yeah so it was things like that so where cyclops find finds himself he's not a telepath at all yeah so he's 
up shit creek without a paddle here. Yep. So he's just in a white room, and Gene is just like in full control of everything. Windegard to a small degree. He's not a telepath, but he's using Gene as his power, essentially. Yep. Telling her what to do and what to form. Yeah. And what I, to think. Yep, totally. Um, and so that's why what we see here is where where Gene's head is. It's all in that ancient time, you know, like, uh, you know, 18th, uh, 1800s America. Yep. Yeah, I think even Gene kind of calls him out. She's like, you, why do you look like an American revolutionary or something like that? Right. So, so Gene in her head is seeing him as like, uh, you know, like the threat. Yeah. In, in, in she's the queen. In her scenario, yeah, she's like a rich British noble. So yep. like these, these rebels are coming after my gold. <laughs> right. And Windegard's toying with Cyclops. He's like, you're here in the astral plane. Like, you're fucked here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you I, got nothing. Can you even sword fight? Because I can. <laughs> and so Cyclops is like, oh, I'm doing my best, man. Right. And he does try. He gives it his all. No, he does. But in, uh, but I think the important part here is that he tried. Because he. it's mentioned before that Gene and yeah. Scott have, like, a telepathic bond. While they were at Warren's place, she gave him that. Yeah. Um, because she was like, you it's know. kind of like a back channel. Yeah, because it was like her one moment of lucidity almost. She mm -hmm. went to, to Cyclops and she was like... Right after banging. Yep, <laughs> Post-coitus, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta drop the bombshell. You get a lot of clarity for you a gotta, little bit. Yeah, you gotta drop the bombshell right after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she basically told him like a moment of lucidity. She was like... I like I the only time she's really acknowledged like something's happening to me that I, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like we want to have complete trust with each other. If you trust me, I'll trust you. Let's put a piece of ourselves in each other's brain so we're always with each other. Yeah, like you know, uh, kind of like uh, like a rope to find your way home. If, yeah, if we exactly. ever get you know completely fucked. Yep. Um, and so that's still in her head. That's like Scott sees that as like his one chance to get back. The get Gene back to reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even though he failed in this battle with Windegard, he reached out to her and found that. Yep. Uh, so she's kind of has that moment of doubt. Um, because the part where she does actually get her lucidity back, like be like realize who she is, is a scary fucking moment. Yeah, for real. Um, because she goes to Windegard and she's like, do you realize what you've done? Like, I had all these mental blocks set up in my head to kind of stop me from becoming the Phoenix. And you've gone in there and you've just kind of fucked it all up <laughs> yeah kind of gone in there and just, just made burned it all to the ground yeah yeah and and you you wanted to unleash all the power now you fucking have <laughs> yeah and she there's this great sequence where she like make she's like you want power i'll show you power and this is where we get that metaphysical like uh description that uh kind of that we get that that prose yeah this is like this is something i could totally see morrison like reading and being heavily inspired by yeah exactly because uh she's like oh you want your wish i'll give you it complete understanding of the universe more than you could ever handle yep and we don't even see really the art of it we just see it zooms in on his eye as he just sees like stars in the cosmos and he's like getting a great understanding of like how it all works because uh, he's just like stretched out and basically goes comatose yeah because he, he can't handle that basically just had a perma trip like he's never coming down yeah no this is like <laughs> dazzler times t 10 billion yeah yeah no this is rough because he wasn't even like we talked about he wasn't even really a telepath he yeah was telepath adjacent I'm trying to think wasn't it like because I think he mentions at one point uh, where, like, he had help from Emma to, like, get into Gene's head at first. Like, yeah. Emma basically, like, led him in, and then he was able to use his illusion powers from there. Exactly. So, so like, it, yeah, it basically, he doesn't stand a chance yeah. with the telepathic so he, he, stuff. He's not even part of that sport. Yeah, so he's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like, if I'm going to have to choose a way to get defeated by the X-Men, that might be an option. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Be <laughs> one with the, the cosmos. Yeah, just get to play in the ether for eternity. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that would either be heaven or hell. Yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, so, so Gene, I like the X Men do kind of get Gene back for a moment here, because Gene goes back with him. She's like, "I'm so sorry. Like, what yep. I did, I wasn't in control. Like, I, I don't know what's happening to me." And she even tells Scott, "She's like, Scott, 
you need to do something. I, I'm so close to the moment of no return here. Like, you need to stop me. And he's like, stop you. Come on. You're going to be fine. We'll take you back. Beast will look at you. You'll be good. Yeah. Um, there was a cool, speaking of Beast, there was a good moment here earlier where Beast, yeah. at this point, Beast has left the X-Men. He works for the Avengers now. Um, he ended up being more of an Avengers character than an X-Men character in this era. Okay. Um, that that kind of happened with a lot of those original characters who Claremont didn't have on the team. Gotcha. They went to other books. Okay. Uh, fucking Iceman and Angel ended up going to a team called the Champions, where they teamed up with Ghost Rider, Hercules, Black Widow. That is it's the most, the most random team. It's the most random ass team. That is of so all random. Time. The book's not that bad, but it is like there's like no chemistry between any of them. So I was it's gonna a little say weird. that's just a mishmash. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they were fucking off with those teams and got new friends with the Ghost Rider. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but you know, he he clutches it because because uh, when they're tearing up the Hellfire Club, he, uh, they end up calling the cops on him, and Hank somehow gets the call or intercepts it because they have a uh, like a line with the New York police. Yeah, department. in this era, the Avengers are basically just like fucking international super cops, yeah. essentially. So Beast <laughs> looks at this and he's like. The Avengers are not going to understand. Yeah. Like, they don't understand, like, the X-Men. Like, there's no way they could do this. Yeah, so he he's a true friend and doesn't snitch him out and just, like, erases the, the call history or whatever. I love that. Be- yeah. Beast does some questionable things. He's not 100% an okay guy. That's an he's in the Illuminati, right? Yeah, he is later a <laughs> member of the Illuminati. Yeah. That's just one of his bad feats. It's a bad look. But he does have his moments where you're like, Damn it, you blue bastard, I love you. Right, this is an OG moment. Yeah, um, so he does do that for them, but unfortunately for Jean, like, everything that's happened to her, like she mentioned, it's too late. Yeah. And the issue ends with her morphing into what's going to be the Dark Phoenix. Her costume changes. Awesome now- spread page. What's that? It's an awesome spread page. Oh, yeah, she changes. Where, where she, it's revealed the new costume. Yeah, yep. it's, it's the same costume, but a different color scheme. Now it's like a maroon and gold color scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get the the iconic cover of 135, where she's grabbing the title of the X-Men and ripping it down. I love that so much. Yeah, that's an iconic cover, because it's it's like a metafiction, too. She's so powerful, she can rip the title from the page. Yeah, I love totally. That. No, that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the battle, she I mean, if you want to call it a battle, she does battle with the X-Men here. Um, they they give it a shot. Well, and they actually have help from Gene too. It's mentioned multiple times that Gene is fighting with them to fight yeah. the Phoenix yep. internally. Like that's the only reason the Phoenix doesn't like literally Thanos snap them out of existence is because <laughs> Gene is stopping her. Yeah, that's insane. Um, because like the, her power is infinite right now. There's one part where she's fighting Colossus and turns a tree into solid gold and just like throws it on him. Yep. So she can do whatever the fuck she wants. Mm-hmm. And later on, Nightcrawler's even like, ooh, that's going to be worth a fortune. I was going to say, like, I, I love that moment. It's just like, because that's exactly what I'd be thinking. That's exactly the first thing I thought. Yeah, but like, like, solid gold we're, tree. We're saving that, right? Like, we're, ta- <laughs> we're taking that with us, right? Nobody can know about the solid gold tree. <laughs> right. If we'll all split it even. Like, just us. <laughs> let's also, hey, let's not tell Xavier oh, about hell it either. No. Yeah. Hell no. He'll keep it all himself. There's there's a moment too where and like we said the the only parts where they kind of almost get an upper hand is where Gene helps. Yeah. There's a moment where Wolverine almost does it. Like he he at this point he's like in the mode where he he's seen a lot of bad shit in his lifetime. He he's like a he's like a soldier. He's seen like he's the kind of guy who like when he sees something he thinks can't be solved he has no hesitation he's like yep. make the final call yep. like if someone's got to die they got to die like that's who wolverine is done it plenty of at times. least at least from we're very early on in wolverine's story too so that's definitely who he i mean is that's right what now. he's telling us yeah yeah exactly but he goes but he also kind of like there's a love triangle sort of between him gene and cyclops so he does yeah they hint him, toward it a few times yeah he a part of him does love gene mm-hmm. so when he goes he has the moment he could have killed her yep he, he has the claws right on her heart and then he hesitates yep and then that's when uh Phoenix gets the upper hand again. So that was one of the first moments where it's like Wolverine's like, well, maybe I can't do it. So he yep. hesitates with it. So you're like, oh, maybe he's growing. Yeah, for sure. 
Wolverine starts out like that. He starts out as like this cold-blooded just mercenary. Um, but he you you gotta get as he goes on like little pieces of growth from him. Okay. Unfortunately, he can't grow that much because Wolverine has to be the the sharp clawed badass. He's got to be the slash guy. He's got to be reset every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfor- so unfortunately, it does go back to that. Yeah. But you always get these kind of cool conversations, especially between him and like Nightcrawler, where they're yep. like, "Is what you're doing okay? Like, you don't you feel guilty about this?" And he's like, "Yeah, but like, what else am I gonna do? There's already so much red on like my hands." Yeah, exactly. And so like they have these interesting conversations where like, okay, yeah, you know, neither of them kind of like you know get up in arms about it they just kind of debate the philosophy of it and they're like something to think about i guess <laughs> we'll put a pin in it yeah <laughs> um so she she wipes the floor with him uh here and then flies off into space so gene now that she's taking care of the x-men she's gone full dark phoenix and we kind of get some of the inner dialogue too where she's like because gene part of her is still there too and part that the scary part is part of her enjoys this yep um not to the point of like you know where gene is evil or anything but it's just it, it's kind of implied it's just that natural kind of original sin sort of it's like that mm-hmm. natural thrill of power yep like a- anyone is susceptible to it no matter how good you are absolute power ap- corrupts absolutely yep. you know um so when she has this absolute power there is a part of her that is kind of evil and mm-hmm. she that scares her to her core too um, because the first thing she does when she has this power is flies up and tries to find more power. Yep. Like she can create wormholes through space and travel around and do whatever the fuck she wants. Like yeah. There's, ne- there's a cool sequence where she like goes past uh, like a U.S. satellite and basically slingshots across like uses the sun to slingshot herself into like a different galaxy. Yep. It creates wormholes <laughs> and shit. Yeah. And there's even like we get some of the shared Marvel stuff too, where other characters are noticing this. Yeah. This was a cool moment. I, I love when stuff like this happens in comic books because you're like, oh yeah, all these other people would notice this. They're- yeah. You know, they're smart. They have these advanced machines or in the case of like Doctor Strange or the Silver Surfer. Yeah. This is an immense cosmic being that just came into existence. Yeah. That they're going to notice. Yeah. That wouldn't go unheard. Yeah. And uh, there's cool parts, too, where Silver Surfer even shows up and it almost seems like he's going to step in here. Yeah. Because he's like, I-, I sense this an immense, powerful being. It almost reminds me of Galactus. Like, yep. it's my duty here to step in and find out what's happening. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he doesn't get the chance because Gene fucks off. Yeah, exactly. But it- it's cool to have to see those characters react how you'd expect them to react, you know, even if it's it's not their book. They come in and you're like, oh, cool. Like That is what Silver Surfer would do. I like that. Yeah, and it really expands the scope of what's happening. Yep. It's like, this is something very important. And, and it's not enough to take over the book. You know, Silver Surfer doesn't come in and yeah, become exactly. Yeah, it doesn't it's take just over. just enough to give you what, yeah, that exactly. satisfaction. Um, but then this is what we talked about earlier with this action figure, you know, that, that, oh, yeah. that I bought. She goes and she's like, I need more power. Yeah, she gets a little hungry. Yeah, and she finds a, a star called Dabari and she's like, well, I'm just going to go into the sun like Superman. I'm going to soak it up and repower my cells here. Yeah. Like, she doesn't even really think much of it. She drinks it up like a milkshake and just, yep. it's gone. <laughs> and um, she, she drinks the milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> I drink your milkshake. I drink your sun. <laughs> And uh, she does it. She drinks the sun and mm-hmm. doesn't even think about the consequences because as soon as she does, the sun goes supernova and explodes. And unfortunately, this solar system was populated. It was inhabited. Yep. There was uh, a very Earth-like planet, you know, at least atmospherically, um, you know, filled with this alien race called... Uh, they don't actually have a name. They're generally referred to as the Dabari. Yeah. But the sun is actually called Dabari. The, okay. The race is never actually named, I don't think. Gotcha. Um, so for all intents and purposes, we'll call them the Dabari people. Yeah. Um, Claremont describes it as uh, like a peace-loving ancient civilization. So it's like they it, like this is not like they're not like humans. They're not constantly at war. This yeah. is a peace-loving people. <laughs> yeah, like literally the one people who probably didn't deserve to have their son drinking. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> like that, that just makes it even more tragic. Where it's like these were an example of like what we all should be, and yep. now they're gone. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's rough. Um, but then 
again, th- we, we talked about, the things are escalating at an enormous rate right now. Yeah. She just wiped out a solar system. <laughs> yeah. So people are going to notice. You know, the Silver Surfer noticed, Doctor Strange noticed, unfortunately, flying by this solar system in, in, in an observable but safe uh, range yeah. is a, uh, a starship of the of the Shi'ar. We've been introduced to the Shi'ar at this point. Okay. Um, yeah, at this point, her, or Xavier and Lalandra are like a thing, a couple, right? Yeah, because yeah. Lalandra was like fleeing um, her people because they were hunting her um, and found uh, safe harbor with the X-Men and they had a whole arc where her brother was like trying to kill her. It's referenced here a little bit and that's where Phoenix kind of used her power for the first time to um, stop a black hole from opening. Okay. Um, and so that that's where the Shi'ar came in. They had that whole event. And so everything was friendly, really, up until that point. Yeah, yeah. Because the Shi'ar were like, oh, like, sorry about all the, the shit we, you know, sorry we had to fight, but you saved our people. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're good. You guys are, <laughs> you guys are pretty solid. <laughs> um, and Lalandra took over as the empress of the Shi'ar because um, she was royalty. She's like, the only way I'm going to, this happens all the time in comics. She's like, the only way I'm going to fix this is to accept my responsibility yeah, yeah. and step up and lead these people in a better direction. Oh, yeah. So at this point, she's in charge. So she now has to be faced with this difficult decision of i just saw Jean gray a person who by all means i'm friends with you know xavier the love of my life trusts her with mm-hmm. everything so i just saw her blow up a star and now i am everyone's telling me i have to bring her in like if you're going to destroy a solar system literally every race like more, so all the biggest like marvel races we know of like the big powers like the big superpowers of the empire yeah, of yeah. the whole galaxy yeah like are, the scroll and the kree, and the kree show up yeah yep, and the, is the, 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 the those are like the big 3 the yeah, shi'ar those are the only ones i recognized <laughs> yeah th- those are the big ones yeah uh, basically all the ones introduced in fantastic 4 <laughs> that's okay. where we get it yeah gotcha um so, so they're all basically calling for justice. Like, you need to bring her in because this is going to escalate. Like, what if our star is next? Yeah. Jean Grey returns back to Earth now supercharged and uh, actually runs into her, her family. Uh, she goes back home and she's like, oh, mom and dad. Like, again, she's having like another moment of lucidity. She's yeah. being, feeling like kind of herself again now that she's been recharged. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes home and her parents are like, uh, hi. Wasn't expecting this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the X-Men show up. Uh, they, they tracked her down too here. They kind of, I guess, maybe figured this would be one of the places she might show up. Yeah. Because uh, Nightcrawler teleports in out of nowhere and puts this device on her head. Yeah. Yeah, Beast um, made it. Which is a cool sequence, because we don't know really what he's doing yet. Later, we find out that Beast created a, a device, like basically a tiara, that's designed to, uh, like a telepathic uh, shock, essentially, to try to incapacitate her. Yeah, it kind of like dulls her powers. Yeah, exactly. So Beast developed this, like, you know, just on the fly to try to, like, give them some kind of chance against her. Because mm-hmm. even with the thing on, she's wiping the floor with him. Yep. Xavier uh, even steps up and tries to like uh, battle her himself. We get like a really cool page where it's like the two most powerful telepaths on Earth do battle. Yeah, and this is a cool part. Yeah, because we don't even really see it much in the art, but it's just described in prose here where it's like uh, the phoenix rises, the psi war begins, the insane young telepath versus her teacher in a death duel between the strongest mutant minds on Earth. The struggle is epic and it's waged simultaneously in all infinite planes of existence. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, like so, so sometimes the... the like the prose and like the heavy description pays off a lot. Like, oh yeah, and stuff like this, especially oh, yeah. with like that's why like the some of the like telepathic stuff in the X Men is some of my favorite stuff because Claremont set it up for great storytelling here. Yeah, like, you can tell all sorts of crazy awesome stories with the way he's kind of set up the way telepathy works here. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so they do kind of save the day. Like Jean wakes up and she's like, it's me again. Like, I'm not the Phoenix. I am me again. Like she's even lost the costume. Yep. And she, and so she's like, I don't know how long I'll be me again, but I you think we saved me. I did it <laughs> for the Question time being. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they think they solved the day, but then they all get blipped away by the Shi'ar. Yep. Uh, because now it's time for Shi'ar justice. Uh, the Shi'ar, um, basically bring her in for trial. Um, and the only reason she even has a chance is because Xavier kind of knows the laws of the people. And she's like, yeah. no, trial by combat. He does a Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, Lalandra, part of her kind of almost is happy that Xavier brought this up because she doesn't want to kill Jean. Yeah, this takes it out of her hands. Just like, woo, that was close. Yeah, I almost had to do something difficult there. <laughs> I was not prepared to do that. <laughs> this is going to make it a lot easier. Yeah, now it's not up to me. You guys better win. <laughs> and uh, My hands so- are clean. So it's set up for basically a whole single, like, overpacked issue of the Shi'ar Avengers, essentially, versus yeah. the X-Men. Yep. Because uh, it's, like, a, a whole collection. The Shi'ar have what's, like, basically a Kingsguard of... It's the Avengers, basically. They have a super-powered team of their own. Yeah. And they all have different powers from different backgrounds. So it's kind of cool how you get um, that level of detail for, like, a whole other planet. Where it's yep. like, yeah, of course, they live their own lives. They have their own shit going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, we're just described Earth as, like, the one abnormality where weird things happen. But it makes sense weird things would happen all over the fucking place. Yeah, you know? exactly. So you get, like, this Avengers team of the Shi'ar. A lot of them have pretty cool powers, too. And we, we don't have to go too much over, like, the whole battle itself. But they do have some some interesting matchups there. Um, yeah, because I think, yeah, so, some, like, Skrull and Kree even show up at, at a point, too. Yeah, I like the dynamic between them because uh, Lalandra goes to the... The other races and she's like is this trial by combat okay is this acceptable and they're like yeah as long as the x-men don't win and yeah she's yeah. like sure that won't happen it <laughs> definitely won't happen well even in combat too because there's a moment where like quote-unquote gene walks up to wolverine and wolverine like starts attacking her and then all of a sudden it turns into a scroll dude but then a kree dude uh, like automatically or then it all all of a sudden comes in and then they start fighting because it's <laughs> yeah, a kree it's and like, a scroll you saved me you <laughs> bastard <laughs> right only i saved me and they weren't even supposed to be fighting. They were just there to watch. Yeah, exactly. And so like, it's just kind of spilling over at this point. Both of you are being assholes. So yeah. Stop. <laughs> and so they're fighting each other off and it, like in the distance and like, well, I guess who cares what they do? They weren't even part of this. Yeah, like <laughs> it's just going to happen. Yeah, like the the uh, the Kree and the Scroller here, they were just going to end up fighting each other anyway. Let's forget about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'll hash it out. And uh, we didn't mention it either, but the arena for this, this battle is like the dark side of the moon, essentially. Yeah, yeah it's like an awesome moon base. It's uh, This has been established in the Fantastic Four up to this point. There is a secret part of the moon, which is the home of the Watcher. Uh, are you familiar with the Watcher at all? I've seen it come up. I don't know speci- exactly what it, it is. I mean, yeah, he doesn't come up a lot in other adaptations. He had like one cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy, which ba- was basically just for nerds to point at the screen, like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the Watcher is basically um, they're from like an ancient race. Is that it, their goal? They're like the scribes of the universe. Okay. Their goal is just to watch over the universe, take notes, and record it. Okay. That that's what their philosophy has always been. Gotcha. But Uatu is the worst Watcher because their job is to never. Enter interfere and that's all he does yeah <laughs> if uatu is in the story he's gonna interfere okay and he'll tell you he's not gonna he, my ancient job is never to interfere <laughs> but maybe if there was like a secret gun under that compartment that would really help you out it might be there maybe take a look <laughs> but i had nothing to do with I it i thought you weren't supposed to be changing things that changed things a lot not technically <laughs> <laughs> depends on how you look at it that's semantics <laughs> shut up <laughs> trying to help you here man <laughs> So Uatu, but uh, I bring that up too because Uatu, they're basically fighting in his backyard right now. Uatu lives on the moon. Okay. 
Uh, and that's where he records things. So they're basically having a giant battle in his backyard. At one point, Wolverine actually accidentally falls into his base. Yeah. And it trips him the fuck out. He's like, where the fuck am I? What's happening? <laughs> this, why is there a giant baby face on this monitor? Right. And uh, Uatu's like, get out of here. You weren't supposed to see this. Like Willy Wonka. <laughs> pay, like, no, pay no attention to the man <laughs> behind the curtain. The battle results don't end up even really mattering that much. Because, I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, we were going to assume the X-Men were going to win. But yeah. it, they went through the ringer. Like, a lot of them, by all accounts, should be dead. Like, yeah, they got. They took a lot of like hits. Yeah, like Colossus and uh, and uh, Gladiator basically brought the whole arena down during their fight <laughs> yeah. because it was two like unbeatable like strength feet foes essentially going at each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so the a lot of them were out for the out for the count. There weren't really any winners. Scott and Jean were just kind of running through, just trying to survive. Yeah. Um. But then Jean, like when things are getting rough, gets the Phoenix back. Yeah. And she's telling Scott like Scott and. She actually brought this up earlier. There's a whole scene we actually forgot to talk about where, like, it goes through talking about what each uh, X-Men kind of feels right the yeah, day yeah. before the battle. Yeah. Uh, and that, those are some of, like, the most iconic character pages in this arc because mm-hmm. you kind of get, like, a unique perspective on, like, what each of them feels about what's happening. Yep. Uh, and Claremont does a good job of not, you know, same voicing everyone. Like, some writers have that problem on team books where everyone will kind of just be the same kind of character and talk the same kind of way and feel the same kind of way about things. Yeah, exactly. But he, he has a good voice, like, a good kind of like grip on what each character would think about this and I like those parts especially when Jean goes up to Scott and is just basically like pleading to him like don't let me turn again mm-hmm. like if I do like you gotta fucking kill me yep. and he's like don't be crazy I could never do that and she's yeah. like you're not taking me seriously like you need to listen to me you don't understand what's happening Yep. and this comes up again as they're doing battle because she's like I can feel the phoenix coming back it's always gonna come back like you can exercise it like a demon but it's gonna keep coming back to me and it's inevitable yep um, and she leads Scott like they leave the battle they like f- they fuck off to like the secret ruins of the base Jean's like follow me I know what we're gonna do yep like, trying to almost trick him into thinking she has a secret weapon to beat the, the Shi'ar yep um, but she does find a secret weapon but it's not meant for them yep this is this is such a good Jean moment because like th- this whole like it's almost like your heart drops like when you're if you were reading this because you'd be like oh this is where they win this is where they beat the Shi'ar and they yeah, go home exactly and she finds the weapon she's like it's not for them Scott yeah it's for me I'm sorry <laughs> you know goodbye and they yep. you know, they hold hands and she does it she she and she like a, there's not even a body she just like goes up yeah it's basically a crazy cannon thing that just obliterates like totally annihilates her into dust yep because she's like you know i could maybe control it you know maybe i with ultimate concentration maybe i could actually control it but if i even had a moment yeah she's like i'm not going my entire life having to like a hundred percent of the time focus on not becoming the phoenix because the risk is so great she lost control for like a night Mm -hmm. and killed five billion people (laughs) yeah so like uh, it's rough so like you can't even like imagine what she's feeling like with that kind of weight like you just wiped out a planet yep we're not going to talk about the fact that they've never (laughs) waged war on each other they were incredibly peaceful we don't need to make you feel that bad (laughs) right but yeah so like in her head she's like i can never do that again so it's like that great moment she's like makes that sacrifice she's like if if I don't do this, I'll I'll never forgive myself, and she does. Yeah, and then and then you get a really uh, cool like moment from the Watchers after that, where they're like, "That's what kind of makes humans special is like that power of self sacrifice." Yes, yeah, that that ending monologue is is. Uh, like that's one of the part that that's maybe like something that really helps make this story be so memorable. Oh too, yeah, because that last page at the end is 
maybe one of the best comic book pages of all time because mm-hmm. it's just Uwachu in his base with like this android who he's created mm-hmm. um, who is just kind of like almost kind of gaining sentience you get the impression because he's asking all these questions about what life is and what yep. they do and why do they struggle yeah exactly and he's like you know this is what makes humanity unique you know this capacity for self-sacrifice like mm-hmm. why would these living creatures who their only goal is to scratch and claw and survive and you yep. know and re- reproduce and and you know do animal things yep. this is what makes them human is that capacity for self-sacrifice why would they ever do that against their own instincts for survival mm-hmm. and it's because of that you know that human part of them that's just like no you need to do what's right you know yep. you need to always do what's right yeah something that's very rare in the universe apparently yep. and so, so he says Jean Grey could have lived to become a god she could have had yep. literally what, what anyone could have ever wanted you know? yeah she literally could have like owned the universe she could have ripped it all down <laughs> and made it all up because yep. the phoenix can do whatever you want it's the god. life force of the universe yeah and he says Jean Grey Jean Grey could have had that she could have lived as a god but it was more important to her to die a human mm-hmm. because you know this is what humans are and that's just so, such a good line i love that yeah that's such a good way to end this because it, it, it's tragic but you get that moment it's like damn gene was gene was the og yeah for real though she was the og god i love her yep uh so without further ado we're going to this is going to be a longer episode like we said it was a nine issue story yeah, exactly. it's the dark phoenix saga so we, we don't want claremont so yeah exactly so we don't want to you know we got to give it the respect it deserves yep um but now there's something that maybe doesn't deserve as much respect <laughs> yeah this won't get as much time <laughs> no it, it, it'll get what it deserves yeah uh this is the the most recent dark phoenix movie is what we're about to talk about it's the second time they've tried to adapt this and to its credit it's not as bad as the last one uh, yeah. X-Men 3 The Last Stand is just a just bad, a bad movie. It's just a bad, bad Don't movie. Don't watch it. <laughs> We're probably going to watch it at some point, yeah, unfortunately. I know. <laughs> um, but this one, they, they learned some lessons from the old movie um, and, and kind of adapted it more along the lines of what the original story was. Yeah, there, they, were, there were a lot of similarities. Because yeah, this time they actually show us what the origin of the Phoenix was. Yep. Because uh, they actually, it opens up with a pretty exciting sequence, actually. Some of the scenes in this movie are like, it's weird. It's like night and day sometimes. Some of the scenes work really well, and yep. other ones just seem lazy. Oh, yeah. Because this opening one is pretty exciting because it opens up just like super fast pace. There's astronauts stuck, like, uh, stranded uh, in space. The The shuttle won't move. No yeah, one knows what's going to malfunction. Yeah, and so uh, the president himself calls Xavier and he's like, What can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, the, the X Men are kind of accepted like the Avengers, it seems like. Yeah. Because for sure. he's been working so closely with the government, I'm guessing they're kind of like helping him in the propaganda department, yeah. I would have to assume. Yeah, <laughs> I would think. Exactly. Xavier's like, hey, uh, me and you, government Illuminati bros. <laughs> like, what if I could project ads into people's minds? They're like, ooh, you don't say, Xavier, you're hired. <laughs> right, like, I'm getting a chubby. But the sequence is really great because he, he brings the team all together really quickly. Um, the team that we get in this movie, for the most part, is different from the other ones. They kind of set up some new characters Mm-hmm. Very quickly, almost too quickly. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these characters were... almost seems forced. Oh, it's very forced because some a lot of these characters were literally just introduced in the last movie that okay. took place before this, which was Apocalypse, in very small roles. Gotcha. Um, there's a confusing part also that I want to talk about in Apocalypse since you haven't seen it, where at the end of the movie she stands up to Apocalypse and actually does the Phoenix. Really? Like, behind her is the Phoenix, like we saw in the Claremont, where she's fighting Apocalypse with the Phoenix. But oh. then later in this movie, which takes place after Apocalypse, she goes into space and gets the Phoenix. That makes no sense. Oh, it makes zero <laughs> sense. That's bad. It's almost like they decided what movie to do after they did Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, hey, we can do Dark Phoenix now. Will it make sense? No, do it anyway. <laughs> God. So, um, so they go into space. The team is, like we mentioned, Cyclops. 
Jean Grey, Storm. Mystique is the leader of the team because Jennifer Lawrence got super popular and they wanted to make Mystique the lead of the movie. Yeah. Because she's the, the top billed actress in the movie, as she should be. I mean, she's yeah. a great actress, Oscar winner. Yeah, exactly. If you're a, a producer, that's what you do. Yeah. But unfor- this unfortunate side effect is that she was Mystique. <laughs> yeah. She was like the side rogue of yep, the story. Exactly. You know? So she, especially after they... Uh, We'll talk about it more. I won't even actually. Maybe I won't bring that up because I don't want to. I was about to bring up a Days of Future's Past thing, but okay. you're about to watch that for the first yeah, time, yeah. so I'll, I'll save that point. Okay. But Mystique in, in all these movies gets to do some cool secret agent stuff, but in this movie, she's just the team leader for the X Men, and it doesn't work as well. Yeah, she's I think. basically the quarterback in this opening scene. Yeah. Um, and she she has some cool scenes. It just yeah. doesn't sell me as Mystique necessarily. Yeah, it seems very out of character. Yeah, she's just like a cool X Men certainly. Yeah, and she has like a a really great line to Xavier where she's like, maybe you should call it the X uh, the X Women because the women are always doing all the work around here. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, that's actually a great line because most of the the great X Men are women. Yeah, definitely the most powerful. Yeah, yeah, especially. <laughs> um. This is so, so I mean, I do like some of the lines she has in this because, especially in this movie, she is standing up to Xavier a lot more than she has in the other ones. Yeah, which anyone who stands up to Xavier, I kind of like initially. Oh, definitely. Xavier is, for the most part, has the right intentions. You know, he does good things, but he is a very problematic individual. Oh, yeah. Who is not afraid to cross lines when it comes to like, especially his telepathic powers. Yep. Um, and that comes up uh, in this movie especially mm-hmm. because um. Jean Grey uh, comes back from space with the Phoenix, and uh, Xavier set, uh, we learned that set up all these like mental roadblocks in her head so that she wouldn't like you know lose control of her yeah. telepathic powers. That was before she even got the Phoenix. Yep. So now that she has it, things are kind of being torn down a little bit, and we get also an introduction to who are going to be the antagonists of this story essentially, which. Is the Dabari? Yeah, oddly they, enough. Yeah, they just call them. And again, I don't in the comics they're not called the Dabari. Just the no. sons. Called I mean, if Dabari. you want to call them the Dabari, I'm it, fine. It, there's no it other makes name sense. for them. Exactly. If you want to reference it, that's what you're going to have to call them. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the Dabari taken here, I don't know. I mean, obviously the people we see are just like three or four people. Yeah. But it's the only representation representation we get of the Dabari. We're never told they're a peace loving people or anything. Exactly. Yeah. Like for as far as we see, they're just like. Like any other imperialists, you know, they're like the Shi'ar essentially. Yep. Um, because they have the ability in, as we're told in this movie, this is brand new, mm-hmm. that they can like, you know, uh, replicate. They're like Martian Manhunter, kind pretty of. much. Yeah. Yeah, and they even look kind of like Martian Manhunter. Yeah, in when a way. They morph, yeah, because they can morph into humans, but yep. then when they die, they turn back into the Dabari. You know, their alien form. Yeah, kind of grayish, um, alien looking. And so one of the first people that Dabari take is Je- uh, Jessica Chastain. Well, not her, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> the per- character she's playing. Yeah. Um, and so she, uh, Jessica Chastain essentially plays the leader of the Dabari in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, and Gail Simone had a great tweet that I read uh, a, couple, <laughs> a couple months ago where she was like, uh, why is Jessica Chastain playing a better Emma Frost than we saw in First Class and she's not playing <laughs> Emma Frost? <laughs> right. Because that was like the first thing is she's got like huge white hair and then like she's wearing a white outfit. It's like, that's Emma Frost light. Right, and she even has, like, her personality is almost kind of like Emma, too, where yeah. she's just, like, stone cold, super ominous, fact, yeah. in charge all the time. Yep. Yeah. So, like, it's almost like, and that's just Jessica Chastain being amazing. Yeah, exactly. she's, like, one of the, like, best actresses working right now. Oh, yeah. Um. So, the fact that she had to play this character, I'm just so, I feel so bad. Yeah, it was, it was rough. <laughs> a couple cool things I want to call out. Dazzler has a cameo. Yeah. That was pretty cool. 
Um, it's like a two second cameo, but yeah. it, it wasn't something I was expecting. And actually, like, looks kind of cool. And she has like, uh, she's like, as a, like pretty, like she's like doing a pop song, like a more of like a modern like Britney Spears kind of yeah, sounded yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and this movie takes place in like the early '90s, so that makes sense. Yeah, that that makes sense. Or maybe like late '80s, because I think the first X Men movie is supposed to take place in uh like early '90s, early 2000s. Okay. Which also means that there's not that big of a gap between. Like young Magneto and uh, Ian McKellen Magneto. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, they, he aged he got really, really poorly, old really quick. He must yeah. have picked up smoking. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad aging. Oh man, I'm sorry, Ian McKellen. I don't mean it. <laughs> no, he's still the best. Let me start out with the good part. The good parts. There are some really cool like sequences, and by sequences, I mean like literally like almost action scenes for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. Um, like a lot of times with Quicksilver because their take on Quicksilver uh, visually is probably one of the best, maybe the best live-action take on a speedster I've ever seen. Yeah, it's awesome. Because they've tried to do it in other movies. They did it in The Avengers. Quicksilver himself was yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Um, and it looked fine. It was fine. Yeah. It was kind of like hard to tell what he was doing most of the time, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess, how they wanted it. In the Avengers, and that's kind of the difference. In the Avengers Quicksilver, you see things from the Avengers' point of view. Yeah. He's just gone in a blink, and you see nothing. Yeah, it's your flash, your typical flash kind of way to do but it. But what makes Quicksilver in the these X-Men movies so much more uh, popular like the reason why he's on this team like he's the quicksilver is a member of the x-men here which almost never happens yeah <laughs> um is because people love the way they showed that we'll watch it next week his first appearance in these movies okay in days of futures past gotcha um and he appears in apocalypse as well doing kind of the same thing but they show it from his perspective mm-hmm. which is a, a much more interesting way to show it because everything is going super slow and then you can even break down the scene yeah you can break down the logistics of what's happening there's a great scene where Jean is like at her home losing control of her powers yep and like you get this sequence of quicksilver kind of uh looking around scoping things out he sees like storm shooting a lightning bolt um, going out in slow motion. So you can kind of get a lay of the land, be like, how do you solve this problem? Yep. And see how he tries to do it. And most of the time in these other movies, we've kind of seen him be like the person who wins it because nobody can keep up with him. Yeah, exactly. But that's, this is the kind of a subversion of that because Gene just looks at him in this, like while he's a speedster. And that's a cool moment. Cause yep. like, he's like, how is, she, how is she looking at me? Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, like, she doesn't see me, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's not possible. Oh, yeah. wait. <laughs> and so that's kind of where we get like her our first hint of her being the phoenix. Yeah, so she basically just like flicks him like a fly, and he comes barreling out of like super speed and just gets totally messed up. Yeah. Um, so it's, like things like that, like there's sequences that work really well and are really cool because of that. Yeah. Um, and then other good things like Ma- Michael Fassbender, Magneto, always amazing in these movies. Like I have oh, nothing yeah. bad. To, like he is Except so good in these. the helicopter scene. But yeah, that's, that's not, not his, his fault. fault. <laughs> not his fault. No, that's an example of a bad action sequence. There's a whole sequence where oh, Gene God. goes to Magneto seeking help. Yeah. And then the, the military shows up to grab Gene and Magneto's like, you can't have her. And Gene's like, no, you won't have me. And like starts attacking the military and Magneto's like, no, 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 we got to keep the piece. like i've <laughs> yeah. been down this road we can't do this yep and they literally like uh like the the soldiers are in the helicopter trying to fly away and gene's trying to pull the helicopter down yep while magneto's trying to hold the helicopter up <laughs> which i don't know if they didn't they must not have thought about how this was going to look because i, I they what I you're left they with didn't. is literally Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happens because the helicopter just floats there because they're both fighting over it, pulling at equal force. Yep. And so you're left with a couple actors screaming into the void, like with veins popping, just going, <gasps> oh no, it's just Michael Fassbender that's like having a giant diarrhea. <laughs> it's only, it's, and Jean's just sitting there like all stoic and stone faced because she's like, she at least gets super powerful. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the worst part is, is that, uh, 
like eventually it hovers close enough to the ground and then Magneto tells the soldiers left on the ground to get into the helicopter <laughs> and then somehow gets the power to like throw it throw into the air yeah. and they manage to from fly this away. slingshot to fly away and <laughs> yeah. it's like that is the worst plan if I'm in that helicopter and that's happening I'm getting the fuck out <laughs> yeah like, do we need Quicksilver in every scene for it to be properly like choreographed and visually interesting honestly because if so just do, do it, it. <laughs> hey Magneto I'm gonna come live with you dad right this doesn't make sense fuck it yeah i don't care <laughs> oh man like if that's what it takes i don't care put him in it yeah like that scene was rough like, that's the only time they look at an action sequence and try to make it interesting yep. or else it's just that yeah it and, was... like we'll see the final fight is just super bland like both of the final fights oh are yeah just horribly uninteresting yep um and, and like a lot of the characters use their powers in like super uninteresting ways too. Mm-hmm. Like Storm in this movie. It's, oh my god, it makes me so the way they handle it's such a waste. Yeah, there's even two parts in this movie. Two parts where Scott goes up to Storm and these are like the only scenes Storm has. Yeah. He goes up to Storm and is like, "Storm, you're one of those powerful X-Men. I need you by my side because <laughs> you're great." And you're wonderful, and we can never do it without you. <laughs> and the only time she's ever on screen is when he's telling her that, and yep. we never see it. And not only just the action sequences for her, but like let her do something in the movie. Yeah, she was non-existent. Like, what arc or what even like agency of kind of a plot does she have in this? She just hangs around. Literally, and... the only thing of importance she does is in the beginning where she patches the holes in the spaceship it's, that they're saving. The yeah, that's from. what I mean. That's she it. steps up in action sequences to yeah. use her powers, but when it comes to her as a character, they oh. Yeah. Never let her do anything. There's nothing. Other than Scott going up to her and be like, you're so important. We need you. Stop telling me that. Show me that. Exactly. Like, show what she means as a leader to this team, like, as a fucking emotional, like, anchor to this team. In the the comic book, she is, like, arguably the character with the most detailed backstory, like, the most central character to Hmm. the X-Men. Like, straight up. She's the character who Claremont, like, early on especially, clearly cares the most about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, she got a ton of like, um, like screen time and information in his run in that. Yeah, so you're gonna include the character, fucking do it. Yeah, it's it's so disappointing to, and the actress who plays her is amazing. Yeah, she's a the great few storm. Scenes we did get were, were pretty good. Perfect casting for a young storm. Like, yeah, she's awesome. Even even in Apocalypse, she was pretty good when she was allowed, like before she got mind controlled and then oh, was God. out of the movie essentially. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so it's it's so disappointing because Storm is like uh, probably a top three X Men for me. So I watched this and I'm like let her do something <laughs> you had perfect casting yep oh it's so that disappointing is a giant waste and, and it's not just her too there's other characters who they very clearly are who are only in this movie because they felt like they had to be in there oh yeah like wait it's our final x-men movie we never did a nightcrawler fuck it uh nightcrawler's in here now and here's our take <laughs> they on absolutely him. slaughtered it can we uh, we need to talk about that we're going yep. out of order because who gives a shit? Who gives point? a shit? <laughs> Nightcrawler's final, like, like he gets one scene. His big emotional scene. Because I, the writers, I have to, like, we're looking at Nightcrawler, and like, well, Nightcrawler, like, and the take that they, people have kind of been going with with Nightcrawler, people have kind of simplified him into a caricature of, like, a priest. Like, that's kind of, like, the character people have, like, yeah. put on him. is like, I'm the priest, all life is sacred. And, that's, and he's like a kid. Yeah, and that's, like, part of him. That's a big part of him. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's all people understand about him. Yeah. And even that part, they fuck up the worst way here. <laughs> because they're, like, in, in this final sequence in the movie, they've been arrested by the... The big train scene. Yeah, basically by, like, the, the mutant hunting Nazis. Yeah. They've been arrested um, by these by these cops and are ta- taking a train, which is ominous, Yeah. Uh, to, to their mutant prison. Yeah. And 
Then the Dabari show up and attack him. Yeah, and Nightcrawler's big moment for this final sequence is, you know, the, the, at this point, you know, they're, they're fighting alongside the soldiers because shit's going crazy. Everyone's just kind of fighting for their own lives. Yep. And this soldier gets killed by a Dabari, like this, this random cop who arrested him and was going to take him to this death camp. Yeah, or, and or five minutes prior to this, when the train first gets attacked, like a bunch of their dudes are just getting slaughtered and the X-Men are just sitting there like, let us go, we can help you. And like, they don't until like literally the last second. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. Yeah, it's insane. And so Nightcrawler's big moment is one of these like uh, you know cops who were gonna arrest him and lock him away. That we have no, we don't even know a name. Oh, we've, he's an unnamed character. We just met this guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> he, he's dying and bleeding out. And Nightcrawler's like, no, 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 you can't, don't go, don't go. Yeah. And I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> is like, this your dad? What is happening? Yeah. Be like, who? What are you doing? It's like, and and then as the guy dies, he like screams up to the heavens. He's like, no. Yeah. We get a classic like scream. And then goes note. like Wolverine rage uh, mode and starts like a annihilating the Dabari, like, cracking their necks, hardcore killing stabbies, you yep. know? It's it's, a, it's cool looking, but I'm yeah. like, holy shit, why is this, why is he going rage mode because the cop who arrested him <laughs> and was gonna lock him away in prison forever died? Yeah. No, my oppressor's been murdered! <laughs> it's it's the most ridiculous scene. It is the scene. worst take on Nightcrawler. <sighs> in that one scene, you've yeah. ruined that entire take on the character for me. Yep. Because then he takes the Dabari, like, and teleports him in front of a train, and then, like, smiles and laughs, and <laughs> run over by a train <laughs> yeah it's like you should have had the same emotional attachment to that dude you just killed that you just cried over that died he should have yeah exactly the, the dabari <laughs> that dude has done less to you than the person who's emotionally distraught technically that dabari got you out of confinement <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't come and attack that train you're in prison like it's insane it's, it's absolutely so crazy. horribly written that oh, hard. like it's literally just thrown together just with no regard so that's why this movie's baffling to me because uh. you'll watch it you'll be watching it for almost large sections of time being like this isn't that bad yeah no there were a lot of parts where i'm like hey this is looks pretty good yeah, like we were i'm like, on board we were like 45 minutes into the movie and you're like why does this have a 5.8 this isn't that bad <laughs> yeah but the movie there's whole sequences where like it all falls apart it's and insane. you're like it hits really low lows <laughs> yeah so and like so many sequences that are just so point they have a big uh, empty, pointless battle through uh, like the streets. It's the most yep. boring X Men battle I've ever it's... seen. Oh, and then we get a part where freaking Gene like, uh, uh, like puppet walks Xavier out of. Oh, his that made me really uncomfortable. Dude, that scene is rough. Yeah, that, like, that, that, that was like straight up ableist. I did not like it. Honestly, though, like yeah. that seemed like a little over the top. Yeah, I, like that at that scene, I was like, wow, I kind of hate Gene. Yeah, <laughs> like it was like, bad. I, I and I especially like hate the writers who thought that would be like a badass like moment. Or, yeah, like, I don't understand the logic behind that. Yeah, like, and that's, like I, I get that they want that was a part where we're supposed to uh, like think that she is being evil. Like that's yeah, supposed exactly. to, that's supposed to be. Bad, you want to sell it? The fact that you thought that would be like a a way to like dunk on Xavier as uh, like while you're writing. Writing that is made me very uncomfortable. It's, I did not like that. It's at all. really out of taste. I feel yeah, like yeah. it was bad. So, yeah, that whole part, and then the Dabari end up like their whole goal was the planet did get destroyed. We're told that the Phoenix already came through and destroyed yeah. the planet. So yep. Jean's off the hook for that one in this, in this movie. Yeah, she didn't know. Um, so we're told that now they these want these uh, Dabari who are left want to take the Phoenix for themselves, which yeah. is okay. Eh. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm why is I don't understand why this um, the leader of the Dabari is so capable of getting the Phoenix either. Like well, she I, takes like a little bit of it for herself. You know what I mean? She gets a taste. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand how, the logic of that because we're told, at least I guess in the comic, we're told yeah. that the Phoenix chose Jean because of her, you know how, how you know unique of a, a person she was. Exactly. Like her power yeah. set, essentially. Yeah. So then 
yeah so the idea Deanna... that you can just take a straw and like take a little bit <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty lame it's a little hokey because they had to make her the big bad guy at the end that's the only reason it happens exactly yeah because she needs to be able to stand up to the other men. yeah you have to have like someone be able to kind of like spar with gene a little bit yeah and um and gene gray herself in this movie is not not bad Inherently, no. No, and and Sophie Turner, I think, does some of her best acting that I've seen so far. For what she was given, she did great. The line she has at the end, I actually really liked. I thought it was a really good in-character Gene moment where um, this leader of the Dabari is like, your emotions are what make you weak. That's why you can't handle the Phoenix. Like Mm -hmm. That's what makes you weak is your emotions. And then she takes her into the sky, lights up the Phoenix, and sacrifices herself, just like in the comic, and says, no, my emotions are what make me strong. And that's like such a a really good Gene Grey line, too. Yeah, that's a great moment. So I'll give them that scene like i like that scene i was watching that and i was like oh you yeah, know that no that's yeah Gene. no that part's done really well Gene, like, they, they kind of wrapped and it's pretty it's kind of similar to how uh like the part with jason winnegard in the comic too like because uh jessica chastain's like no i'm taking the phoenix and gene's just like oh you want it here it is yep, and then exactly. she just gets overwhelmed Here's the, yeah that's yeah you made a point when we were watching it because we were watching it and you were like oh is she gonna be kind of like the jason winnegard of the story yeah yeah and i didn't even think about that at first but it's like Actually, yes. <laughs> they, yeah, they, it kind of like uh, is similar in some ways during it. Well, cause it's not like she's not lying to to Jean ever, but she is pitching she's her. In, she's like she's the ominous like whisperer. Yeah, she's pitching her the best case scenario and only that. Exactly. Yeah, because she's like, "You're a god. <laughs> Things will be fine. You'll bring life to worlds. Yeah, nothing bad will happen. <laughs> yeah, like, you will only be an agent of good. Absolutely nothing else. <laughs> also, can I just have a little taste? I yeah. got this crazy straw. <laughs> just give me a little bit. Just give me a little taste. Just give me a little slurp. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, it's it was rough. Yeah, it's something, but um, so honestly, like like I said, parts of it. If I could split this movie into eight parts, some of those parts I would give better, like pretty good grades. Oh yeah, definitely. but then when you put it all into one movie as one narrative, that's why it's bad. Yeah, it's just a bad combo. Yeah, because it the whole thing is kind of like lifeless and hollow, especially yeah. when you look at the main cast of characters yep. and how many of them actually had parts in this movie exactly how many of them were actually characters even scott yep barely a character in this movie barely yeah and especially storm uh nightcrawler yep um quicksilver yeah they're just here to be here and to use they're just there for the action sequences and then like a few one-liners here and there yeah yeah, and, and like even Magneto, who really didn't need to be in this movie at all, no, shows it was literally up and, just for the casting. Yeah, and he shows up like two thirds into the movie and gets a bigger role than everyone on the main team. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty sloppy. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's that, that's the Dark Phoenix movie. Um, like I said, it's probably worth watching. It's on HBO. Yeah. I mean, if you got two hours to spare and you have HBO already, give it a watch. Yeah. Like make your own opinion. I I, th- I think it's not a movie that's so abysmally bad that. You could like I don't think it's so bad that I would like that you would be like objectively wrong for liking it. Oh no, no. I, I think if you like it, like I can see why. There's there. a lot of good elements in it. Yeah, if you're a fan of this movie, I can kind of see why. There's parts of it where I would be watching and being like, yeah, they did that part right. Oh like, yeah, I've mentioned a lot of them. Oh yeah. So like I can see why you'd come out of it with a net positive, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the, for me at least, and I, it sounds like for you, those, oh yeah, those negative parts really bring the rest of it down for me. Yeah. Um. It, it just like you said, it just feels hollow. It's just yeah. a lifeless kind of like as it strings yeah, along. Yeah. So if if, if you want to watch like a popcorn movie, you could do worse. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot worse you could do. Um, just don't go in expecting to cry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Except for maybe at that gene line. I did tear up a little bit at the gene line, but yeah, yeah that's about it. My emotions are what make me strong, just because I know what's coming too. I'm yeah. like, no, exactly. Not again. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so that'll bring us to the end of the Dark Phoenix. We're going to be doing more X-Men next week. Um, like I mentioned, we're going to be following up on where the comic left off, essentially. We're going to be doing Days of Futures Past, which is, it'll be a shorter episode probably next time, because that's only a two-issue yeah. story. There's a lot to break down there, but it is only two issues, mm-hmm. so we're a little bit limited as to what we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're going to be comparing that to the adaptation Days of Futures Past, which technically came two movies before what we just watched, which, but okay. it stands alone. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. it's easy to watch. And For it's sure. also the movie where you get the cast of both franchises which is yeah, like a novelty that's, that's what I'm looking forward it's to it's pretty cool yeah like that alone is kind of cool um so we'll, we'll be breaking that down next week um for the I'll, I'll post what the exact issues are next week for anyone yeah. reading ahead again follow us on twitter at agents of podcast for those mm-hmm. kind of updates um but until then your emotions are what keep you strong guys <laughs> oh yes the capacity for self-sacrifice remember that <laughs> at least for one more week hell yeah goodbye <laughs>